2 Corinthians 3. We are moving through verses 6 through 18. 2 Corinthians 3. 6 through 18, a section in that I have uh, entitled The Glory of the New Covenant. We will pray and then we will read the word of the Lord. Father, as we draw to you now by the power of your Spirit, the purpose of your word, Father, may you give us eyes to see, may you give us ears to hear, and may we drink deep. Father, may we look at this magnificence of our salvation. Father, may we each be overwhelmed by it. Father, may it be the focus of our minds. May it be that that encourages us, that strengthens us, that comforts us. As our dear brother Paul pens this for us, may we understand that it is your purpose that we hear. It is your purpose for us to rest full weight on this amazing thing. Help us, Lord, to understand. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning at verse 6, Who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to even be more with glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if it fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech, not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened and for to this very day. At the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Basically, this text is a summarization of the letter to the Hebrews. It's just condensed. Uh, and it's basically contrasting the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Okay, And the Old Covenant is obsolete. Now, we've already dealt with this in depth that the Old Covenant had glory, but the glory of the New Covenant is so awesome, you can't even see the glory of the Old Covenant. 
Okay, now, when I speak of the Old Covenant or the law, uh, you see the Apostle Paul, he's very specific about it. Sometimes it's dealing with the uh, civilian side of it, the, uh, for the cities of Israel. Sometimes he's dealing with the um, ceremonial side of it, the pictures. And sometimes he's dealing with the Ten Commandments, which is the moral side of it. Okay, now, if you're really honest with yourself, you can say that the civilian side, the civil side of the law is gone. Okay? Israel has been set apart. Right? I've been to Israel. Uh, they look just like any other democratic country. Just like it. I mean, they they do not have a temple. Uh, they do not have a theocracy. Now, and a lot, a lot of people, well, some in Israel want a theocracy, but they don't have it. They have a parliament, um, prime ministers and things like that. So you can see that set apart. The sacramental side, the sacrificial side, the ceremonial side, that's been set aside too. So it's, it's done. Right? There is, there is no temple. There's no place to offer a sacrifice. Now you hear all the rumblings that we're going to have it back and we're going to put a priesthood in and we're going to do this and we're going to, you know what? Um, it ain't happening. Okay? So, so it's not there. But you have to be honest with yourself. When you look at the law, the, remember when the Pharisees and the scribes came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? Okay? He basically summarized the old covenant in Two ways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love thy neighbor as thyself. And if you're really honest with yourself, that's just the summarization of the Ten Commandments. I mean, instead of ten, we got two. I could even argue, say, that you can have one. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the neighbor thing is easy. Okay? Because you'll understand that the neighbor is anybody who isn't you and their creation of God. Therefore, I am to love them. Okay? So, the glory of the new covenant outshines the old covenant because the old covenant is obsolete. Okay? The old covenant... Whether it's the civil, the moral, or the ceremonial side, has one glaring flaw. It can't save. You can't find it in the Old Testament where it says, if you do this, you shall be saved. I mean, if you think about it, Abraham was saved how? He believed. And it was counted unto him as righteousness. Okay? What Bible did Abraham study? So there is no salvation in the Old Covenant. And yet what I watch in the church today is we don't want to deal with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, so we will put up a religious system. And I mean, yeah, you can see it in Catholicism and Orthodoxy and all of these other things. Yeah, I can see it all over the place. But the ones that bother me are the ones who's in the evangelical church. Okay, this box right here. What do we call that? The altar. 
Who's going to offer up what on that? But we do it. Right? When people go into this room, how many of you would call it the worship center? It's not. It's a room. Okay? I call it an auditorium. The worship center. Where is the temple of God? And His people. That's the worship center. Okay, but we get down the road. And you know what? I am not going to throw people out of church. Are you calling the church a worship center? You're out of here. That is not what I'm about. But we get in our mindsets, all of this stuff, and this is how it's supposed to be. Listen, every one of you needs to go and spend some time teaching in Russia. They meet in holes in the wall. And they call it church. Why? Because that's where the saints are. If you look at the word church, it is the ecclesia, the called out ones. It ain't a building. Alright, so it manifests itself all over. You know, walking out, say a prayer, get baptized, you're saved. Really? That ain't what my Bible teaches. And what I see in the church today is a lack of understanding between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The day I got baptized, there was a young man who got baptized with me. And, uh, you know, we, we were just talking, and, and he said this is his uh, fifth one this year. And I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> you know, I guess it's cheaper than taking a shower, <laughs> you know, let someone else get the water. I, I don't know. Well, and, you know, he says, well, I just want to make sure. Really? You know, I was an infant in, I didn't even understand that there's an Old and a New Testament. I didn't know what that was. Everybody kept telling me to read the Bible starting John. I was like, why in the world would you start reading a book in the middle of it? But anyway, um, but, but, you know, you get that kind of stuff. And the guy said, well, you know, I knew that baptism didn't save you. It was an act of obedience. He said, get baptized. All right. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea to me. All right. It's what I call an external religion. Um, the Protestants are not immune to it. Uh, I, I see it all, all over the place. Uh, watch at the, the resurrection celebrations that people will have or at Christmas. Okay, they become these massive productions. And you know what it is? It's external. It's external. Okay, I don't mind celebrating the birth of Christ, but why can't we sing Christmas hymns every Sunday? That'd be messing with some people, wouldn't it? So, <laughs> why? You know, I, I, away in a manger. Well, uh, you can only sing that on like the 25th, 24th, something like that. Well, wait a minute. Why can't we do it all the time? And I actually think there should be more emphasis on the resurrection Sunday than on the Christmas Sunday, personally. Because if he doesn't get out of the tomb, <laughs> I don't care if he was born of a virgin. Okay? The penalty of death, the, the penalty of sin had to be paid by death and it had to be approved, meaning that they had to raise. Okay, Jesus did that. I think that that should be a bigger than, you know, Christmas. So, but it would look funny with a tree, wouldn't it? A Christmas tree and all the lights and all that stuff at Easter. So, 
But if you'd be like me, you could plan ahead. I just put it up at Christmas and not take it down until after Easter. Listen, the external religion accomplishes absolutely nothing. It never has. We've seen that the Old Covenant is a ministry of death. We see that the Old Covenant is a ministry of condemnation. And yet, both the ministry of death and condemnation had glory. Christ, because of His perfect sacrificial death for sin, became the mediator of a new, better covenant. Okay, When you hear the word mediator, it's almost a term of lawyer. Okay, But it has in mind, if you think about it, the Old Testament, you had two types of quote-unquote spiritual men. You had a prophet, and you had a priest. Okay, What the prophet did is he spoke on behalf of the Lord... To man. Okay, makes sense. All right. What the priest did was went on behalf of man to the Lord. He was a mediator between man and God. All right. If Christ is the perfect sacrifice, then we no longer have any need for priests. Right? I have a mediator of a new covenant. A new covenant. Okay? Your pastor is not your mediator. Alright? Christ is your mediator. We have to understand that. I know, I, I watch the church today, and we want, well, if I got married, I would be, you already complete in Christ. But if I got, you're already complete in Christ, you lack nothing. But if I know, you're not understanding the new covenant. The new covenant put peace with God And because you are at peace with God, you now have the peace of God. And look in the body of Christ today and tell me you see that. I see people who are pulling their hairs out, driving themselves nuts, thinking that something is missing. If I have peace with God, then I will have the peace of God. And what can shake God's peace? That is the new covenants, brothers and sisters. You and I miss that. And part of the reason is we come to salvation not because of fear and trembling that I'm an enemy to God, which makes God my enemy. That's that's sort of depressing if you really think about it. It shouldn't really take a rocket scientist or a theologian to say, you know what, if God is angry at me, that is a losing proposition. That's what we got to look at. And we miss that. All right? You come to salvation because one day God says, do you understand that you are my enemy? And all of a sudden it's like light comes on and you're like, bad place to be. Those who try to keep the law are missing the whole point of the mediator of a new covenant. Completely miss it. Completely miss it. We've already looked at it. Verse 6, this new covenant gives life. The other one was condemnation and death. Verse 7, 8, and 9, it produces righteousness. 
In the new covenant, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, I stand right before God. That should rock your universe. We also see in verses 10 and 11 that it is permanent. So I can stop right there and say the superiority of the new covenant and I can see the glory of the new covenant and how it would dwarf the old covenant. I can understand the glory of the old covenant. I can. It makes sense to me. But when I look at the new covenant, why would I even want to pay attention to that? The old covenant can't save me. It condemns me. Now, what's really cool about being condemned is all of a sudden you realize you need to be saved. But I want to move into this next one because the new covenant brings hope. Verse 12. Therefore, having such a hope. What is it? Hope. I have one that has glory. I have one that abounds in glory. I have one that has more glory. And it is so glorious that the glory of the old one, you can't even notice it. All right? Therefore, having such a hope. That's what the therefore is for. We use great boldness in our speech. One of my favorite verses. And you'll see why here in a few minutes. If there's one thing true about the old covenant. Okay? Do you understand that it was a hopeless covenant? If it can't save you, what hope is in it? It can't make you right before God. What hope is in it? All it does is add to the condemnation. No sacrifice under the old covenant was ever final. It was never complete. There always had to be another. In the temple area where they would bring sacrifices, if you brought a sin sacrifice, you had to shed innocent blood. And depending on your wealth in society, it might be a lamb, it could be a bull, it could be a dove, it could be a pigeon, it would be whatever it is. But what they would do is they would cut the throat of the animal and they would bleed it into a bowl. A big bronze laver about this big around and about that tall. Okay? And they would put the blood in there. Then the priest would go over to the altar. He would dump the blood on the fire and it would rise up as an offering up to God. Here's the amazing thing about that big bowl. It was shaped like a cone. You couldn't set it down. It didn't have a bottom on it, a flat bottom on it. It came to a point. Because the priest was always offering blood. And 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, you had a priest holding this big bowl. Because somebody coming in, man, I sinned against my business partner and had killing me a chicken. And, you know, off he'd go. And he'd come back and, and just keep going back and forth. That was The sacrifice was never done. There's always shedding blood. Always. How do you get hope out of that? I wouldn't even be able to get out of the crowd of people. Once I walked in there and offered it up, say I did a bad deal to a business partner, and somebody stepped on my foot on the way out, I'd give me another dub, and I'd go back in, they stepped on my rag, I'd go back in, give me another, and I would just, let's just keep passing the birds. I know you guys wouldn't have to do it, but... See... 
But the new covenant has a finality to it. Okay? It has an absolute finality to it. There is no need for shedding of blood anymore. It provides real hope. Sin has really been dealt with. The hope of a life abundant, a life eternal, and it is so clear, our hope is so sure, it is so established, irrevocable, final. I don't have to worry about it no more. I don't have to go kill a lamb. I don't have to keep coming back saying the sinner's prayer, walking that out. How many times are you going to get baptized? I don't know. It's been a bad week. Paul says that hope is so awesome. We proclaim it with boldness. All right. What is hope? Guess we ought to know what that is, because if we're going to be bold about it, we probably ought to know what we're saying. It's very simple, actually. It is a belief that all of the promises of the new covenant will come to pass. Okay? What is new covenant promise? I, I, you guys get this... I watch people say, well, we're going to go to heaven and the gold is like clear and the streets are paved with it and you got this thing and it's got 12 foundations and doors as big as pearls. and <sighs> That is true. But that is irrelevant to the new covenant promise. The new covenant promise is a total, complete, permanent Forever forgiveness. Okay? Removing your sins as far as the east is from the west. It is so forgiving in its promise, it did to the old covenant based on the new covenant accomplishments. And the new covenant, one of the things as a pastor, one of the things I think that probably annoys me the most is that the new covenant brings to you and I who are truly redeemed life abundantly. That would be like right now. And yet, if you watch the evangelical community, you don't see life abundantly. We are all pursuing fill in the blank. Okay, that's why you see some of these goofy churches. You know, God wants you healthy, wealthy and wise and smiling and, you know, get your new teeth implants and hairdos and. Mascaras and, and Bentleys. Why? Well, I'm life abundantly. There is the hope of life abundantly. There is the hope of life eternal. There is the hope of heaven. And the promises are all going to come to pass. 
as great as the new covenant is, it is not yet fully manifested. Yet it has hope in it. It brings not only a present abundance, but it brings us a future, a glorious future. It has been sealed and ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that was done in the past. At the cross. It's applied in the present by faith. And its fullness is experienced in the future. We who are saved have entered into a new covenant, the fullness we have not yet experienced. And I want you to get just a view of what is to come. So if you would, please, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We use this a lot in our lives when we're dealing with hurting brothers or sisters. But I don't believe that we ever really just go through the text. Okay, because if you start there in verse 18, Romans 8, 18 through 25, but I'll start at 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, if you've got somebody who's hurting or suffering, you like to throw that at them. And that's always fun if you're the one doing the throwing. If you're the one receiving it, it just doesn't seem to ring as well. And the reason is I don't believe we go far enough. Because look what he says next. For the anxious longings of the creation. Okay, do you know what's included in creation? That'd be all the solar systems, space, all the other planets, all the other universes. That would be everything that is in Creation. Okay. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of what? For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. We live in hope, Paul says, because the new covenant's glorious capacity for hope. The old covenant was hopeless. The old covenant killed, it condemned, it steals your joy, it wipes out your peace, it took away your hope, it weighed everything futile. Ladies, you ever clean your house? You ever wonder who makes it dirty while you're away? How's come you can clean your house and you can go no one in the house for eight hours and you come back and it's messed up again. It's got dust in places and stuff like that. How did that happen? That is futility. I have an ongoing debate with my wife. My wife makes up the bed every morning. And I always laugh at her and say, why are you doing that? I just want it to look good. All right. She said, 
Why wouldn't you make up the bed? Futile. I'm coming back to it. I don't, I'm going to make a mess out of it again. Watch. Guaranteed. It's futile. It's like cutting the grass. It grows again. What's up with that? It's futile. You paint your house. Guess what? It's futile. But if you think about it, isn't all of creation that way? There's nothing in creation that does not exist in that futility. That is what sin does. And so when you look around at it, it steals your joy. It steals your peace. It's, look, you, you go down. I, I had a chip in my windshield. Okay, got it sealed, right? That's almost like a new windshield. It's really cool. I felt great about it. Cruising down the road, come down the hill into Franktown. This truck went by and went, bing, and it went all the way across the bottom. You're like, what the heck was that? I don't understand that. It is futile. <laughs> it's futile. Look what he says here. Creation, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Did you know creation is slaved to corruption, to rust, disintegration, perishing? Into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Did you get that? At the redemption of the sons of God, creation will be redeemed. And the joy and the glory of the sons of God will be passed on to creation. Dear friend of mine, he's in glory now. We were down, I took him down to, um, um, what was that? Royal Gorge. And we went up on this balcony and we're looking at it. And that is a seriously big ditch. I don't care what anybody says. And it's kind of cool. You see moss in different places in the shadows and all that stuff. And the time of day we were there, we were getting some really cool colors coming back off the cliffs. And we were sitting there looking at it. And 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 I, I looked at him. I said, Spurs, I said, what do you think about that? And he says, yeah. I said, is that beautiful or what? I mean, it's sort of like a baby Grand Canyon. And, and he said, uh, what would it look like if it wasn't touched by sin? Zodiac, you sit around and think too much, man. <laughs> you know, because I remember uh, I went to the Grand Canyon. It was there in March, and there was snow on the southern rim. And you could look back across the Grand Canyon. And, and I was just standing there, and I was looking at it, and I said, it almost looks fake. Now, I know if you step off it, well, check this reality out. But, but you just looked at this thing, and I was like, it, it's like this... Big picture. And then I thought about Dr. Zodiotis. What does this look like not touched by sin? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any idea. I, my head don't work that way. And yet creation waits for the hope when it is redeemed and is not subjected to futility. I don't know, that kind of messes with me. I just sort of sit there and go, wow, dude. Paul says that that is 
All of creation is crying for the hope that the sons of God will be bringing. The glory of the children of God. It says, for we know that the whole of creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan with ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for something what they already see? But we hope for that that we do not see with perseverance. We wait eagerly for it. See, too many times you and I don't look at what hope truly is. We're playing with this. He starts it out. Remember, I consider the sufferings of this present time can't compare to the glory to come. Why? Where's your hope? Where's your hope? We don't mind suffering in this life because we have a hope for the glory that is to be revealed. Can you think about the glory to be revealed when sin no longer is present? I don't understand that. I don't understand that. That's, I, what? Complete absence of sin. Creation of sin. Could you hurry? Pick up the pace. I got a volcano getting ready to go off. Earthquake, a hurricane. What is that? That's the futility. The glorious revealing of the sons of God, and it hasn't happened yet. And yet, in hope, creation itself will be set free from the slavery of futility. Whole of creation groans. We groan. In hope, we have been saved. And yet, we persevere. We finish. Because we are saved in hope. Inherent in the new covenant is the hope, a glorious, amazing, wondrous anticipation of of a manifestation of the children of God. Think about the children of God. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Okay? Very simple, very easy. All right? But we are awaiting a new body. That is part of our hope. A body has no ability to age. And I, you ever thought about it? It's a body like Christ. We will be as Christ. Now think about that. He goes, shows up in the upper room, just poof. I mean, there he is. Okay, I'm a little hungry. Sits down, has some fish, right? And the guys are all sitting there going, feed it, feed it, it'll go away. Okay? <laughs> I don't care. You feed it. I ain't going to... All right, but but isn't it right? He's sitting there. I mean, one moment he ain't there, and then boom, right there he is. He eats, and then he walks right through the wall. Okay, now think about it a second. You will be like Christ. Boy, we're talking about checking up on your kids. <laughs> They're sitting there getting ready, and all of a sudden, poof. There's mom. <laughs> okay. And then walking through walls. I'm in. 
I only have to do it once. <laughs> just, that's just totally awesome to me. Look at this! <laughs> but that is the futility that we are in. Our, our bodies, I mean, you know, I hear people, and you guys who have known me for a long time, you don't ask me to pray for your healing, because I already told you. Where's healing at? Heaven. You want me to pray for that? Why? Because I got news for you. If you got a broken leg right now and you go in and it gets all better, guess what? Something else is going to happen. You'll either break the other leg, you'll end up with a heart attack or a stroke or brain cancer or you'll just fall down the stairs and call it a done deal. Right? And, and I, I, you know, I'm at the age now, I've got, uh, I have the, I have what they call that Mickey Mantle syndrome. Had I known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. Okay, Mantle used to say that. And it, there's times, of, you know, especially when the weather gets ready to get cold, my body says, here we go. Right? I, you guys probably don't have any of those deals. There's times that, you know, you just all of a sudden you raise your arm up and it says no. And you're like, <laughs> okay. Uh, every once in a while, the knee, I got a bad knee and every once in a while it's, it says, you know, that's what people say, well, you ought to take up running. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a whoop and then take up running. <laughs> There's a wondrous anticipation of the manifestation of the children of God that all of creation is longing to see. Why? Because we groan. There's days... When you have more bills than pay. There's days when you just don't feel like getting up and going outside. I mean, I I know I get up in the morning and I look up outside and I look out on the deck and there's frost on it. And you're like, you know, there's just days like that. I mean, you know, they say on Tuesday, the high will be nothing. Perfect. That's that's the kind of stuff that you and I have to look at. Um, in Romans 15, verse 13, he says this, Paul does. Now may the God of hope. Now, listen to this. This is a benediction. I want you to think about this for a second. Listen to these words. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you think about what he just said there? I want you to be full with all joy and peace, abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We live in hope. Some of you remember Ed. He was the best man in my uh, wedding. And um, his greatest single desire on the planet Earth was for the salvation of his wife. I, I cannot think of anything that drove that man more than, than that his wife would be saved. And... Uh, 
he started having a lot of health issues and all the rest of it. And uh, we used to meet at my house on Thursday nights and have Bible study. And he was here about every Sunday. He was he went through the leadership classes and 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 he was very faithful to the church. And his illness had gotten bad enough that they were going to go in and do this procedure in on one of his lungs. And they said if he survives this procedure, then it'll be a slow and gradual um, restoration to him. He said, uh, if he doesn't survive the procedure, then he's out of here. So uh, they made the decision that they were going to go ahead and have this procedure done. And so uh, I, I was up at the hospital. It was intensive care. So I went in, and it was me and Ed and Pam, his wife. And uh, he said, will you pray for me? And I said, brother, and you have to understand my relationship with Ed. Um, I've known Ed longer than I've known my wife. Um, we were, uh, shall we call it, bikers together. And a few other odds and ends. But anyway. Um, so I said, what do you want me to pray? And he looks at me. And Pam's got a hold of one hand. I'm on the other side of the bed. i got a hold of the other hand. He looks at me right now and he says, I want you to pray that if I cannot come back to the church and serve in the capacity that I am right now, then the Lord take me home. His wife's not saved. Still not. How's your hope? Could your hope stand there? No fear of death, because death ushers us in to the presence of Christ. See, can you see the joy and the happiness in the heart to live in that hope? I'm not worried about it. I'm thinking God's got this thing under control. And if he wants me to go home, Yes! I'm in. Romans 13, 11, an amazing text. Do this knowing the time, that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Your salvation is nearer than when you believed. Okay, that is its conclusion, its fullness. The realization of that hope is now sight. And you know what? Every heartbeat you get, you're that much closer to the fulfillment of that. In Galatians, Paul deals with this. Galatians 5, 5. For we through the Spirit by faith are awaiting for the hope of righteousness. Galatians 5.5 5. Through the Spirit by faith are awaiting for the hope of righteousness. When I receive that body that no longer has any ability to sin. I, and, and, and you look in the body of Christ today, you don't see that. 
You don't see that. You don't understand I'm going in for an MRG or something and now they're going to test me for this or that or the other and just pray what? That God might be showing you the end of the race? Well, that sounds cold-hearted. Not when you see him face to face. You'll be saying, that there, he's on top of it. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I've watched it. I have watched people who stood in the hope of the presence of Christ. The groanings of the body be done with. Here I am, Lord. That is, you know, we are waiting for hope. You know, I am saved, but I look at my life and frankly, I live in a hope of what's ahead of me. And I mean out of this body. There's times that I hope for it. Well, that sounds, no. Romans 7, remember Paul? I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. Wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Right? And yet, well, I want to stay in this body. Wretched thing I am. But we do. I'm going to stay right here. Why? This is miserable. That's crazy. Philip called me. Pastor Philip, Punjab, India, called me. He says, Pastor Bo. I said, yeah. And he says, I've been listening to you online. You're a powerful preacher. I was like, I'm glad you're listening, Philip. He says, you fly into Delhi. I pick you up. We go to Punjab. Well, that's not like flying to New Orleans. And I said, well, how far are you from uh, Pakistan? (laughs) He said, 50 kilometers. Yo, dude, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Blonde haired, blue eyed. <laughs> With one of those U.S. passports. <laughs> well, you come. I tell you what, why don't we do it this way, Philip? What's that? You download them and put it on a loudspeaker. <laughs> and we'll put Matt's picture up as the pastor of this church. <laughs> You guys think I'm kidding. <laughs> you pray about it. Philip, I have. God said no. <laughs> Quickest prayer I've ever offered up and got an answer on. Why? Who will deliver us from this wretched thing? See, you know what it is to be redeemed fully and redeemed a person living in an unredeemed flesh? Isn't it anguish? It's a battle. The fullness of our righteousness. I have endless warfare. I have this great hope that someday this war will be over. Now, I know you guys don't fight with sin. I just can't seem to get rid of it. It just it is a pest. And there's times that it's just as easy as the day is. Ah, piece of cake, no problem. Victory in Jesus. Hallelujah. And then there's other days you're like, Jesus, if you don't come and get me, I'm coming anyway. 
I'm giving you an option here. <laughs> People get on me about riding my motorcycle without a helmet. And I said, you really think I want to stick around? Now you understand it. I, and do, I, I want you, we always think about heaven, you know, and trees that grow multiple kinds of fruit and waters running and frolicking through the tulips. I don't know if they even got tulips or whatever it is we do. And we're just going to hang out in heaven. Just do you understand the fullness of your righteousness? Uh, that is amazing to me. And I have in the past now a righteousness that I preserve in a life abundant in the present because I'm living for the hope of the future. And that's what you and I have been called to do. We should stand out as these awesome beings in the lost, dying, depraved world. It fires me up. Do you know that? Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints. The hope of His calling. Do you know what the hope... See, people, most people think, well, I, I was saved so I could go to heaven. That is not why you were saved. You were saved... Because God wanted to show creation who's been groaning in futility for centuries the glory of the hope of the redeeming of the sons of God. That's why you were saved. You get a bonus of heaven. The hope of His calling. I want us to understand that you have to hope for to, to understand your eternal reward. You hope for that. You look to that. It is something that is there. You know it is real. And you know it is real because if you're truly honest with yourself, your life right now is abundant. It has peace with God. It has peace of God. It has joy. It has blessings. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Right now. Peter says, you lack nothing. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Temporal and eternal. It's right now. And then you live in that light. You're looking to the hope that is coming. I want us to look ahead. It's, it's like when you drive a car. All right. When you're driving a car, do you look just at the end of the hood? If you do, tell me and I'll wait for you to leave. <laughs> right. When you're driving a car, you're not just... Whoop. You're looking down the road. Half a mile. Quarter mile. Some of you looking farther than that. You need to kind of get back in here a little bit. Okay? But when you drive a car, you don't look right there. You look out ahead of you. Your walk with Jesus Christ should be out ahead of you. I get up every morning. I, I pray this every morning before I get out of bed. Lord, let my hands be about your work, my feet be on your path. That's it. I don't want to bore him with a bunch of verbiage. But I try to pray all day long. Sometimes it's easier. 
Someday, it does not yet appear what we will be. Someday, we will be like Him. Someday, we will see Him as He is. Nate read it this morning. We will know as we are known. That is our great hope. And we are saved in that hope. Back to your text. Do you understand why we we use boldness in our speaking? The word bold there. This is one of my favorite phrases in all of scripture. And you'll understand it here in a minute. The word bold there means openness. Okay. That's why I get into trouble because people are always trying to figure out what it was I meant by what I said. Okay. Truth of the matter is I meant exactly what I said. There are no implications. It is an openness. It has one of my favorite understandings of this word is it has a public exhibition of frankness. I have no reserve. I am not timid. I have no hesitation. There is no reluctance. We proclaim New Testament truth fearlessly without hesitation. Now you guys understand why I act the way I act. Why? I'm not driving my car looking over the hood. I'm looking down this way and I ain't shutting up. That's why I have people said, well, do you believe that the church will go through the tribulation time? I said, no. Well, how do you say? I said, listen, I am never going to stop preaching the gospel. They will not tolerate that. I'll just be the first one killed. I ain't shutting up. Even if God in his infinite humor sends me to Punjab, I ain't shutting up. I don't understand that. There is no hesitation. Now I will tell you this. The new covenant will, was a jolt to the Jewish, to say the least. But it is a re- jolt to any religion, any system other than Christians. See, when you are bold in the new covenant, you tell them your system is apostate. You tell them that your system is defective. Your system is obsolete. Your system is only a system of condemnation. Trying to achieve salvation through an old covenant, which was never intended to save, showed the need for salvation. Because the new covenant brings so much hope, we proclaim it fearlessly. No matter the jolt, no matter the consequences, boldness, outspoken, so confident in the new covenant promise by faith in Jesus Christ that it fills our hearts with hope that the old covenant never could. No external religious system can bring that kind of hope. It removes fear, it removes despair, it removes doubt, and it places joy and peace and hope. And it is so confident, I 
I am courageous and outspoken without reluctance and without hesitation. That's amazing stuff. I have watched people lose a spouse. And I know two different cases that I'm thinking of. I won't mention any names. But the, the one couple, very involved in church, Bible studies and all kinds of stuff, uh, strong in scriptures and all the rest of it. And, and he had bad heart and he ended up dying. And she went to pieces. She had to have personal counseling. She had to have this. She had to have that. And she's got, they got her on different medicines to sleep and medicines to get up. I don't know how you do that. But anyway, uh, but she's, she's got all of this stuff. And, and my mom buried her second husband a few years ago. And, um, she praised God. She praised God. I spoke at his funeral. His pastor spoke at his funeral. Uh, and, and my mom, uh, had, she said, I got to spend that last year. She says, I got to spend my, I think it was what, 20, 25, 26 years of marriage with this man. And, uh, she says, uh, I'm just grateful that God gave me the time with him. And now he is in glory. He's no longer in pain. And I will see what the Lord has in store for me next. But that's the difference between a person who's looking at the new covenant and a person who is looking at religion. Okay. No matter the reaction, you can't hold back if you understand this hope, the hope of the new covenant. And what's amazing about this text now, I'm just going to set this up for you and we'll pick it up in a couple of weeks. Look what he says. Oh, man. Okay. Verse 12. Look what he says. Therefore, having such a hope. Now, you've seen what hope is. We use great public frankness in our speech. Okay? Now watch what he does in 13. Have you read that? And are not like Moses. What? Moses was in the presence of God and brought the law. But our boldness is greater than Moses's ever was. Moses would put a veil over his face. I don't have to put a veil over my face. Why? I will not hesitate. I have no reserve. I am not reluctant. I am not, I am just out there. Why? Because of the hope that I had. What Moses got didn't bring no hope. This is the law. What we have Bring salvation. And he contrasts the proclamation of the new covenant is far more superior than Moses on Mount Sinai. <laughs> See, that freaks me out. Moses didn't have a boldness. Something about the law was blinding and burning. It's kind of like looking at the sun. You just kind of do one of these things. Paul is sharing that on, on that backdrop, this issue. Moses was reluctant to speak. He'd cover his face when he, after he got done speaking. The blazing glory of God that came to him in the giving of the law, it didn't burn the people. It looked like looking into the sun. But the new covenant gives us hope. And it gives us so much hope that we are bold 
in proclaiming it. Remember how it started? God has made us adequate servants of the new covenant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. And Father, thank you for your spirit and your precious church. Father, and for your written word. Father, I stand in awe. I read this text. It just, it just thrills me. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters this day will understand the privilege of being a servant of the new covenant. And that, Father, we would great boldness because of the hope that is in us. Father, as we look forward for the fulfillment of our righteousness, Father, may we become more courageous as we proclaim You crucified for the sins of man. And that, Father, only through You and our mediator, Jesus Christ, may man stand right before a holy, perfect God. Christ's name. Amen.